0: Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard.
1: Hello, Tech fans, and welcome inside another episode as the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets prepare to face off against the Miami Hurricanes, their Coastal Division rivals, a primetime kickoff at Bobby Dodd Stadium, a night out with a whiteout for the Yellow Jacket faithful as they prepare to welcome the Miami Hurricanes who have had a lot of success lately against the Yellow Jackets. and will learn a little bit more about Miami and head coach Mark Rick to what makes the Canes uh, a dangerous opponent this weekend we've brought on the athletic Miami's Manny Navarro Manny thanks so much for joining us and final the time well thanks
2: for having me on well Manny you've
1: covered Miami uh, for a long time uh, save a slight three-year stretch recently where you're on the Miami heat beat but you've been covering the Canes uh, for as long as 2002 you've seen the highs the lows I'm curious, the most recent low is this three-game losing streak for Miami. What has transpired in the last three games?
2: Yeah, it's been really tough for the offense to get going for the Hurricanes. and uh, Obviously, Miami's still playing high-caliber defense on that side of the football, but offensively, to score 13 points, 14 points, and 12 points uh, with some of the guys that you have at the skill position on this team, it's been a little disappointing. And Really, it's been the quarterback play. That's been the issue all season for Miami. Uh, Mark Rick started the season with Malik Rozier, the fifth-year senior, a quarterback, and then about four or five games in, he decided to turn to Nicosi Perry, the redshirt freshman, and Nicosi had a couple of good games, beat North Carolina, uh, rallied Miami uh, to victory against Florida State, and then uh, went up to Virginia, struggled the first two series, and, and Rick turned around and went back. To Rozier and and the offense has just been sputtering, uh, going back and forth since. And uh, you know, upset fans, uh, frustrated fans here uh, for the Hurricanes. They were expecting to win the Coastal Division again. They were picked as the favorites in the preseason, and so to see this team at five and four, after what was a, a pretty good feel good victory over Florida State a month ago, uh, it's just it's just amazing to see the drop off that's happened here for this program. Well, college sports, all sports can be very fickle. I
1: mean, obviously, coming off a great season a year ago, how legitimate do you think that criticism is from the fans?
2: Well, listen, Mark, uh, when he took the job, wanted to run the offense. And in all honesty, I think all of us uh, who have seen this team the last couple of years, it, it's been Manny Diaz's defense. It's been the story. I know last year, uh, the reason Miami started 10-0 and and climbed to number two in the country was because of what it was doing on the defensive end, leading the country in turnovers you know, the turnover chain and, and all the big plays that were being made on that side of the football, and Malik Rozier was doing enough at the quarterback position to get the job done. But, uh, you know, these last 12 games, Miami is 5-7 and seven overall, and the offense is really sputtered. Uh, the running game has been inconsistent. The uh, line play has been inconsistent, and certainly the quarterback play has been inconsistent. And, and Rick, you know, when you're entering your, your third year on the job, going into your fourth at the end of the season, uh, and you still don't have a quarterback uh, that's yours that you've recruited that appears ready to take over the mantle. That's that's really where the criticism comes from from Miami fans. They were hoping that Mark, with all of his experience and success at Georgia, uh, obviously you know recruiting good quarterbacks and producing good quarterbacks. The expectation was he would do the same here.
1: I know at the at the time we're recording this, Coach Rick does not name a starter at quarterback. Do you think there's a chance William sees the field, the true freshman?
2: He could. Now, obviously, they're protecting against his redshirt. Uh, The new rule allows him to play up to four games. He played earlier this season. uh, I think he had one or two series against Savannah State in a blowout, uh, played at the end of the game. And so uh, he's got three games left to play with. I would tend to think that Mark would probably not play Jaron Williams until he can get him on the field at home. You don't want him to go into a place like Georgia Tech and have to make his first real uh, you know, appearance of his career there on the road where, where you're counting on him to deliver so big. But I think if Jaron Williams shows in practice this week that he's capable, I, then, then maybe Mark would trust him to play on the road.
1: Well, we've done a disservice to Manny Diaz because we have not talked about that defense. You look at what Miami's got on that side of the ball. They've got a trio of linebackers, Zach McLeod, Shaq Quarterman, Michael Peakney who have started since they were freshmen. Jared Willis, potential All-American at defensive tackle, leads the world, it seems like, and tackles for loss and sacks. And you've got three seniors in the secondary. Is there a weakness in this
2: defense? Well, if there is, I think it's it's when opposing offenses can figure out how to take advantage of their aggression. Manny Diaz's style is to play downhill, to, to make sure those linebackers are in the backfield. And I think we've seen it at different points this season where Either with with the right kind of play call, a screen, or uh, you know, sort of uh, setting up in the backfield with sort of a wishbone type attack, where you know one one player misses a tackle and it can turn into a big gain against this defense. Um, That said, there are not many weaknesses, especially the way Gerald Willis is playing up front. He's played like an All American this season at defensive tackle for them. And uh, he's gotten some help. There's been some young guys on the defensive end position. John Garvin has been a sensational sophomore for Miami up front. But really, I mean, between the secondary, all the guys that they've got back there and, and the linebackers you mentioned, there have not been many moments this season where you've said, hey, uh, Manny Diaz's d- defense doesn't look good. I think Boston College is the one team that made them look a little ordinary, but that was only for three series to start the game when when BC went to this sort of hurry-up offense um, that, that caused problems for Miami. Outside of that, I would say there have not been many more moments this season where this defense has looked out of place.
1: Manny, before we let you go, what, what's the rhetoric been like when it comes to defending the triple option against a team like Georgia Tech as far as the defense is concerned?
2: Well, I mean, Miami's obviously had some success against Georgia Tech here the last couple of years, but again – um, so much of, of of what teams do against Georgia Tech, it's it's obviously to stop that triple option. But the way Georgia Tech can block on the edge and 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 you know sort of create problems uh, on the edge, I think that's something Miami has to be aware of this week. Like I said, they play so downhill; those linebackers always coming in to make tackles in the backfield. Um, I I could see Georgia Tech uh, having s- some success. Um, One thing I would say is that uh, if Paul Johnson wants to throw a few wrinkles in there, a few trick plays, uh, Boston College and Duke have proven over the last couple weeks that that works. Uh, Duke scored its touchdown uh, in the second half against Miami with a couple of jump passes near the goal line, and BC ran a couple of sort of double reverse passes uh, that caught Miami's defense off guard. So I'm willing to bet Paul Johnson's got one of those up his sleeve this week.
1: Uh, For the Tech fans who want to continue to get that other angle of this matchup from the Miami side. Where can they find you, and where can they read their, read your
2: work? Sure. You just got to go to theathletic.com and uh, click on the link to uh, the University of Miami, uh, and you'll find all of my stories on the Hurricanes there.
1: Sounds good. When we come back, we'll visit with the Yellow Jacket letter winner who had an awfully big game against the Hurricanes the last time the Jackets prevailed back in 2014. That's up next on From the Flats. Second and four. Ball is on Georgia's eight. Handoff, Lasky, inside the five, and across the goal line! Touchdown, Georgia Tech! 4.22 on the clock, and the Jackets have taken the lead in Athens. And joining us now, former letter winner to the star of the 2014 Whiteout against the Miami Hurricanes, Zach Lasky, an Orange Bowl champion with the Yellow Jackets, part of that dynamic B-back tandem with himself and St. John Days, and Zach, we're so thrilled to have you on, man. How are you doing?
3: Yeah, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you having me on here today.
1: Well, no doubt. You were an uh, easy selection, uh, rushing for over 100 yards against the Hurricanes back in 2014. Part of that demonstrative 28-17 to 17 win that got Tech off to a 5-0 start. Before we go there, and we will, I promise, but what are you up to now? Can you kind of tell us about uh, moving from beyond Tech, what you've done the last few years?
3: Yeah, so uh, after uh, Georgia Tech, I went undrafted to the then St. Louis Rams, um, and I spent the last few years out there with them, and then I I tore my Achilles um, last season, and, um, you know, that kind of sidelined me and hindered me, and uh, I'm actually now um, helping out with uh, the recruiting department uh, here at Georgia Tech. Now, as far as your time with the Rams, am I correct
1: in believing that uh, the photo that was captured of Todd Gurley wearing a GT hat a couple of years ago, that was your doing? Is that right?
3: That is correct. That is correct. Me being from Tech and Todd being from uh, Georgia, um, as soon as we kind of got in there together because we were the same class, uh, we always, uh, you know, talk, talked a little smack. And I always had the the last year we both played, you know, obviously he didn't play and that was always his excuse. but. Um, you know, we obviously always taught crap. I always told him, hey, man, you're only as good as the last game you played. And, you know, unfortunately for him, it was a loss for him and a win for me. So when the opportunity came, you know, that next, uh, that next, not the first year after, but the, the year after, we were like, oh, let's make a little friendly wager and um, lose the rest to get decked out in the opposing team's gear. And, you know, Todd's a good man and stuck true to his word and, It it was fun to watch. Let's talk about that
1: 2014 Miami game. That was earlier that season in 2014, your senior year. And and going into that game, Tech was sitting kind of good, 4-0, feeling pretty good. But a lot of uh, the pundits across college football thought this would be the first real test for Georgia Tech. And you guys passed it with flying colors. What do you remember about that night? Uh, A packed stadium, a night game
3: under the lights, uh, similar to what we might have this Saturday against Miami. Yeah, I mean, honest to God – the atmosphere at Bobby Dodd in a night game when it's a big game like that, um, you know, it gives me chills just talking about it now. Um, you get the, you know, the skyline, the backdrop. It it's just an awesome feeling. Um, obviously, you know, the week before we had uh you know came back and beat Virginia Tech after some fluky plays that, you know, I think they had a fumble that popped out and their quarterback bootlegged around and popped right to him and took it for six. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, prior to my senior year, Everything that could always go bad for us just always happened. And then that senior year, you know, we'd all had so much experience. We figured out how to do it. But, you know, I I just remember that that atmosphere was just electric that night. And, you know, the the guys came out to play. We all came out to play. And we were able to just uh, put a a good game together and, and get out there with a W.
1: What's one anecdote or story that always seems to come up when you and your teammates get together nowadays talking about that 2014 season that perhaps fans might not know?
3: Really, we just talk about the camaraderie that, you know, after, you know, every game, even on the bus rides, you know, we're all we're all celebrating, talking and, you know, every week after the game, we always after the game, you know, we'd always get together and and just go hang out and and, uh, you know, it was a little bit different. It was uh, one of the one of the teams, few teams that I've been on where everybody was truly, you know, all about each other. So, um I mean I'm sure that's you know people probably saw that a little bit, but um, we we you know we just talk about everything um, you know to this day we still have a a, a group text message that we all we are all still text in and, and keep in touch with. I think it was just a lot of us had played for a couple of years prior to that point, so you know we all knew you know this was our year to really make something happen and I think that when you play with guys for so long and you get that trust and that chemistry. Um, that that you can do something special. ACC championship, even though we lost, it was you know still a heck of a time. The Georgia game, the Orange Bowl. I mean that that was that was just what a way to go out for all the seniors. The Orange Bowl was just awesome. The be back tandem
1: this year has been Jerry Howard and Jordan Mason. They've had some real bright moments and they've had some untimely fumbles, I suppose. Able to survive those this past week against North Carolina. What would you like to see them do to improve if they want to try and approach what you and St. John were able
3: to build? Uh, in your time at Tech? I love the way they, you know, they move their feet and, you know, get those extra tough yards because I think, I think a lot of the time, by the time the fourth quarter runs down, when you have, you know, two backs like that, uh, that you wear down a defense and it just makes it so difficult for, for a team to stop. And it's pretty, it's pretty demoralizing as a defense if uh, you can kind of just give them one of those, those death marches. But like you said, I think the biggest thing for me is just taking care of the football. I know for me, my thing was like, if I ever felt like the ball was popping out, because a lot of times people try to stand you up and rip the ball, I just force myself down. I just go down because, um, you know, I'm not going to risk fumbling the ball and and losing a possession.
1: Well, Zach, thanks so much for your time, man. Uh, We're thrilled to have you here uh, around campus all the time, working in the recruiting office. And thanks for joining us here on From the Flats.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Go Jackets. Go
1: Jackets. Look forward to Saturday night. That's Zach Lasky, member of that 2014 Orange Bowl team. And up next, we've got Sean Bedford and Andy Demetra breaking down the matchup between the Canes and the Jackets on From the Flats.
4: Takes the snap and retreats to throw. Pocket holds. Checks down. Throws over the middle. Intercepted. And it's Tariq Carpenter. Has it at the 42. The interception in Tar Heel territory. The second pick of the year from Tariq Carpenter.
1: And what a dramatic interception it was. Tariq Carpenter with the pick that launched Georgia Tech on its go-ahead drive in Chapel Hill this past Saturday. The men who broke it down and brought that thriller to life, Andy Demetron, Sean Bedford, join us now. And guys, first and foremost, what are your takeaways from a win like that where Certainly things could have gone smoother in the second half, but ultimately got the win.
0: I think it says a lot about this team's ability to respond to adversity because the last couple of games, and in particular the last couple of wins, they've been able to just kind of cruise in the second half and really didn't have much of an uphill struggle to deal with. But UNC made this game a heck of a lot more interesting than it needed to be, and that was certainly with some help from Tech, but they were finally able to overcome some of the miscues that had put them in that bad spot, things that we didn't see against the likes of USF or Pitt or Duke. So it was very heartening to see Tech rebound from a couple of its own mistakes and find a way to put that game away.
4: Yeah, I agree, Sean. I think if you were to drop that game into earlier mid-September, Georgia Tech wouldn't have won that. But I, I think with those blowouts over Louisville and Virginia Tech, it fed this belief that on the road, They knew how to get it done, and once again, it was the takeaways. It's been remarkable to see this turnaround in turnovers for Georgia Tech. Well, here they are coming into Miami with 20 combined takeaways this year, double what they had last year, and I think we saw a perfect example of how crucial those were on Saturday because it's also enabled Georgia Tech to survive giving up 48% on third downs, and North Carolina was not a proficient third down team coming in they still converted eight of 14, but those turnovers have been crucial. They were clutch on Saturday, and uh, Georgia Tech sometimes, as you know, they can be contagious, and we'll see how much that can fuel them moving forward into these last two home games.
1: Well, moving forward, Miami's got one of the top defenses in the country. And, guys, the way I kind of view the last 25% of the season is you're going to face three of the best defenses you'll see all year. I'm not certain anyone's Clemson necessarily, but uh, in strictly in points allowed, both. Miami and Virginia, along with Georgia, all rank in the top 20 in points allowed. So with that in mind, Miami's got a veteran defense. What does Tech need to do to have success
0: on Saturday night moving the football? Getting some movement in that center guard box, and that's going to be something that's probably easier said than done, because when you look at the talent and experience in this Miami front seven, it's a salty group, and I think they're definitely going to pose some some problems to the Jackets. In this game, but I think when you're facing a defense like this, and particularly a really strong front seven, it helps to have a couple of chunk plays along the way.
4: And it's interesting because I was breaking down the numbers, Sean, and even though, yeah, Miami, they're second nationally in total defense, I looked at the number of rushing plays of 10 or more yards they've allowed because Georgia Tech leads the nation with room to spare in that category. And Miami is sort of middling nationally as far as the number of double-digit running plays they've given up. Now, that's not to take away from that front seven. Their linebackers, Quarterman, Pinckney, and McLeod, they can run sideline to sideline. Gerald Willis III is maybe the best defensive tackle in America who doesn't get the publicity or the exposure that he ought to. What I'm looking for, guys, is can Georgia Tech find ways to get the quarterback Involved in the running game productively. You look at the last two years. We know that last year, DeQuan Marshall, 18 rushing yards versus Miami, that was a season low for him. The year before that, Justin Thomas, 15 carries, seven yards. Uh, Tobias Oliver and DeQuan Marshall uh, have both been so ultra productive, calling their own number this year. That's not something that's materialized the last couple of times Georgia Tech has faced Miami.
0: Especially when you consider what Tech was able to do on the ground last year, getting the ball out to those a backs and to the perimeter. It's going to be important that the quarterbacks can be productive in the triple option game when Tech decides to run that in the midline. Because when you face a 3-4 defense, when you get them running sideline to sideline, there are going to be opportunities up the middle. That means opportunities for the B-back, but it also means opportunities for the quarterback to cut it up early and take advantage of an over-pursuing defense. Well, let's talk
1: about who Miami might have under center because Mark Richt has not come out and named a starter yet at the time we're recording this. Malik Rozier, Nikosi Perry, two names that have swapped in and out throughout the season for Miami. There's even been some scuttlebutt that they might throw their true freshman, Jaron Williams, onto the field for at least a couple series on Saturday night. How much more difficult does that uncertainty make Nate Woody's job and Tech's defensive responsibilities entering
0: this game? I think it makes it difficult just because you have to prepare for a couple of different offenses, really. And so, yes, the offense is generally going to be similar, but Rosier brings, uh, you know, passing ability, but also the experience that comes with having operated in this system for a while now and, and having led them last year to the Coastal Division title. But then you look at a guy like uh, Nicosi Perry, who the fans have been really excited about coming into this game. And I think a lot of people think probably deserves a little bit more playing time than he's received. And he brings that dual threat ability that makes him really dangerous.
4: You know, and you break down those two guys. Uh, Let's not forget Nicosi Perry, the last time he started on the road, which was against Virginia Tech, he got benched. Didn't handle the environment that well, and it cost him now. Both of those guys played against Duke. Neither guy really separated himself. The conditions might have had something to do with it. But Perry is more of an elusive runner. Rozier, like you said, Sean, uh, even though his completion percentage is not where he wants it to be, and that's been the knock on him this year is his accuracy. He's still a guy that can get you into the right play, who can avoid the mistakes. And, you know, so much of winning on the road is avoiding mistakes. They can flip momentum and roar that crowd back to life. And, and that could be a very important intangible that may result in, in Rozier playing a little more just given the circumstances. And, yeah, you're right. This is a guy that led Miami to the win last year. Now, what also might be a wrinkle here is that Travis Homer, their lead back guy who rushed for 170 against the Jackets last year, he didn't practice Tuesday calf strain. Mark Rick said he should be good to go, but to what percent is he healthy and how much might that throw a wrench in what Miami is able to do? So a lot of uncertainty, a lot of mystery surrounding that Miami offense and what they might be able to accomplish here as they try to pick themselves up off the canvas.
1: Well, that's the scoop from our Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network duo, Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford. Guys, we've seen plenty of night games this year, but none at Bobby Dodd Stadium.
0: How excited are you guys to see Grant Field under the lights? Uh, I'm thrilled. I, I really, I love night games. As a player, I love them. As a fan and as somebody who's involved in the broadcast, I love them. And especially for a game like this, if you have to make it to one game this season, Make it this game. Whiteout conditions under the lights at Grant Field. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, Bobby Dodd Stadium is going to be rocking, and I can't wait for it.
4: Yeah, and a chance to become bowl eligible with a win. Chance to stay alive in the Coastal Division. You got the Calvin bobbleheads. You got the salute to the veterans white out uh miami which always i'm sure raises the hackles of one sean bedford and arouses some some old uh feelings of animosity that he might have that's always fun to to get a sense of that inside the broadcast booth but uh no it's gonna be a lot of fun can't wait to uh bring you all the action under the lights
1: sounds good we'll start poking the bear sean bedford at five o'clock
4: on saturday afternoon into the evening
1: we'll be on the air the georgia tech img sports network a seven o'clock kick georgia tech and miami guys thanks for your time and Look forward to having everyone out at Bobby Dodd on Saturday night.
0: You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for
4: live coverage and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.